0: Within being there shortly, I realized, holy cow, we're about to run out of cash. How are we gonna make payroll, right? Like giant material things that can destroy the existence of a company overnight. This lesson I learned quickly, minutes matter. We didn't have the luxury to think about what we were gonna do this year, what we were gonna do this quarter, what we were gonna do this month. What we did in the minutes determined whether we would survive as a company.
1: Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. I've got a fun one coming your way today with Amy Amick, who is Chief Executive Officer over at Aspirion. She's served in the healthcare technology industry for almost 30 years and is fiercely committed to being a force that makes healthcare better. For over two decades, Aspirion has helped healthcare providers maximize their hospital revenue recovery by focusing on their most challenging reimbursements. And Amy has also served as President and Chief Executive Officer at SPH Analytics, president at MedAssets slash InThrive, and held senior leader positions at Allscripts, Microsoft, and Modal. And she also serves as an independent director and board member over at Experity and Pendrick Healthcare Partners. Amy, welcome to Lead the Team.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Great to be here with you today. Well, this is going to be
1: a good one, and let's get it rolling with the big one. So you've just started in a new CEO capacity. Congratulations and you are in your first week so what is it like coming in to the CEO role in week 1
0: <laughs> well thanks for thanks for the kind words about joining the new company so experience a great place and uh, the first week has been awesome and busy and crazy um so, so when I jump into a new company, first thing I try to do as much homework as I can ahead of time, so I feel like I've actually been working for three or four weeks with all the great materials the leadership team and the board has, has sent my way. Um, but, but uh, week one at any company is about listening, and I am incredibly focused on listen to individuals, listen to teams, listen to clients. And one of my favorite things to do is to is to reach out to employees who are top talent. Who have left the organization. So those are on my calendar for next week. But love to think about, you know, if people were amazing and they chose to leave, you can learn a lot from talking to them. So so that's something coming up. So so first week a lot of listening and hmm. and really starting to synthesize common themes. Um, those themes are things of celebration and those things are are themes of uh of opportunity.
1: Wow. So cool and what a cool strategy for leaders to think about because they about this Reaching out to people who left the company because you might get some of the most honest feedback uh, from people, not always, but a lot of times from people that that aren't there. And I think, of course, this is a great CEO move, but I think probably team leaders taking over a new team, why not reach out to those who have left the organization before you take it, before you go in day one and see what you can learn. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big tennis player too. So is my wife and my daughter, We we love it. Uh, and we like to get on the courts a lot. And, and I have found uh, if one of my clients plays tennis, I'll take my tennis racket when I visit them and we'll play. Okay. Uh, and okay. it, it's kind of a fun way, to, kind of a pain to travel with a tennis racket, but but you don't always have to bring your in racket clubs. Well, have, I, I'll racket. tell you
0: what, I, I'm following your lead. Um, so our largest office for Spurian is in Columbus, Georgia, a couple hours from Atlanta where I live. And so, um, once or twice a month, I'm in that physical office and I drive there and my mm-hmm. tennis bag is always in the back of my car. Oh. So when I went down, when I went down this week, I actually, I actually called the local, uh, the local community center or tennis, whatever. And I was asking them about what programs they have at night that I could drop in on. So, uh, it's a goal. We'll see if, we'll see if I actually, if I actually perform well against that goal. But, uh, my hope is to, to follow your strategy. And-
1: You know, for me, people sometimes ask me, like, why I'm into tennis. Like, well, I'm I'm on the tennis court. I'm not able to think about things like work or even challenges in my personal life. I'm like completely focused on in the point, in the match, trying to win that. And when I go back to my work, I feel so refreshed. Even though I've worked hard on the court, I'm mentally sharper and more available. How how does that impact it for you in terms of your mindset?
0: Similar. Um, I, I think I'm good at compartmentalizing. So I'm all in at work, I'm all in at this or whatnot. And so when I'm on the tennis court, I'm there for three things. I'm there for joy, I'm there for time with friends, and I'm there for exercise. Mm-hmm. And and I don't have room in my mind uh to do anything else. Although I will tell you this on important points when when, especially when I'm supposed to serve, but important points in a game, I sit here thinking, pretend like it's into quarter, you gotta close this, you gotta close this. <laughs> Get it done right. So
1: get the numbers. That's there. Right. Yeah, that's right. Okay, that's great. That's a great blend. So this this, this ability to compartmentalize is this something that you've honed, or was more natural, or you, you saw a role modeled for yourself early on? Like, what, where does it uh, come from? Great
0: question. Um, I think it's something. It either was honed as a child or ingrained in my DNA. I don't know which one, but. But as a kid, I was really into swimming, competitive swimmer. And in swimming, when you're a kid, I swam through college. But, but but when you're in the sport of swimming in a competitive way, you usually practice a couple hours before school and a couple hours after school. And so it's a massive time suck. Um, it comes with reward, but it is it consumes so much time. And I wanted to swim. I wanted to be great at school. And I was one of those kids that had to work hard to be great at school. I just didn't get A's. I earned A's. So I had to fit in studying and I didn't want to sacrifice social and I didn't want to sacrifice other things. So I had to figure out how to get time for student council and how to have time for friends. And and so I think I learned to be super efficient and be able to kind of context switch and jump from X to Y and kind of, um, you know, many people need downtime to balance uptime with. Mm. I think I... I run without much need for downtime, but I, I, I um, I'd love and perform really well and running hard in this space and turn my attention to this space next. And and it's been like that since I was a kiddo.
1: Yeah. I had a similar experience as a kid where, I mean, my parents always said you always, even though you had less time when you were playing basketball or playing sports, your grades were always better, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in those busier times for whatever reason. Uh, so, so I can relate to that. Well, th- thanks for sharing. You know some of the backstory there on getting cranked up there as a CEO, and also, you know, the, this idea for leaders to really think about looking at the long term span of their career, looking for those times where you might be sprinting versus taking versus taking time off. And I wanted to dive into it to a different part. Um, when's the time in your career? where the table stakes were incredibly high and the challenges were mighty. How did you find success? And and what did you learn?
0: Very uh, good question. So to make context, switch. so Asperian I'm at right now, which is an incredibly healthy company, great growth, great trajectory. um, And and so I'm joining a company to make a great company even better. Um, By contrast, the prior place I was at was the opposite end of the spectrum. I joined S Page Analytics in in what was the darkest days of the company. Um, the company was shrinking. It wasn't just shrinking; it had lost twenty nine percent of its client base in the six months before I joined the company. Um, it was supposed to be about break even, but it was substantially losing money. Um, our employees were disgruntled and leaving quickly. Like it was, it was a tough scenario, and I. Um, I took the role knowing it was, it was a tough scenario and there was a lot to do, you know, kind of dig out of a hole before you could work on climbing, climbing a mountain. And, um, so very different landscape than, than where I am today. This is more, that's more of a turnaround
1: than what you're talking about now. Like you said, taking it good to great versus.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I
1: mean, 29%. I mean, it
0: was, it was, it was tough. So I joined this company and. I always have a fast propensity to act. I always have a strong ability to help a company figure out what matters most. But in this company, you know, with within being there shortly, I realized, "Holy cow, we're about to run out of cash. How are we going to make payroll?" Right? Like giant material things that can destroy a, the existence of a company overnight. And so this this lesson I learned quickly there, and the org turn uh, learned quickly there. I'm, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll give you my punchline of the lesson. Learn it was the term minutes matter. Okay, and so um, we didn't have the luxury to think about what we were gonna do this year, what we were gonna do this quarter, what we were gonna do this month. What we did in the minutes determined whether we would survive as a company, and would could we create a framework to. To grow and excel in the in the future, and so in the first few minutes, we had to figure out a couple key priorities, and we had to run on those.
1: Minutes matter. So you step into a company, and the motto is "minutes matter" because in minutes we may not be here anymore as a company.
0: Exactly. Wise. Exactly. Like we that, <laughs> that it, that's, that's the table stakes for that. that. Like
1: like that's yeah. That's real. That's no. That's pressure. Um, yeah, you probably weren't getting a lot of sleep. Uh, when the minutes matter,
0: no, we weren't, we weren't, but uh, but the team did a great job. We picked three things and they were the right things. So, so I mentioned 29% client attrition. Why were they firing us? Because our product had lost focus on quality. We had our we just we were putting out bad, bad product. Um, and so first and foremost, we needed to figure out how to repurpose all of our minutes. To be focused on, on creating a quality, valuable product to our clients. And by the way, we didn't have to go invent something to do that. We had to simply prioritize that and empower our people that mm-hmm. getting something out at great quality every day was far more important than getting out something quickly. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so first area that 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 focus on quality. And, and that's, and we needed that because we had to stop the bleeding. We needed people to stop leaving us. And and they should leave us if our quality is poor. So that was that was number one. Uh, number two, you know, in my first week or two there of doing kind of the employee and customer and ex employee interviews, it became really apparent that our culture, um, led by the prior leadership, was not a culture you would aspire to at all. Um, it, Everything you would say don't have in your culture is what that culture was. And our people were downtrodden, frustrated, disgruntled, um, and and mourning the loss of what maybe in prior years had been a great culture. And so the second thing it became very important is that we had to create a meaningful pivotal way to people recognize that who we were, what we stood for was different. And we used a pretty atypical way to to hit to um to to do that uh, might be worth might be worth sharing with you yeah um so our teammates um i I mentioned we had these poor culture elements Uh, this company at its heart was a survey company okay so we were really good at surveying people you know patients health plan members things like that we knew how to do surveys well so within two weeks of me being there we launched a survey to our employees um it was launched with an email i wrote that just said look i've talked to this many of you guys, I hear loud and clear, you don't like who we are, and you have aspirations of being somebody different and and standing for something different. Um, here is a survey. Please vote on what our culture should and our values should be. And so instead of taking you know two months with a consultant with the execs and an offsite to come back with these lofty set of of, of um, values to put on the wall in the break room, I, I was like, you know, these are great people that that at their heart know what to do. They just need leaders that support it. And so we launched a really atypical program where we let our people vote on what the values were.
1: And yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense because too often that's a missed opportunity. I, I think there's there's one part about the retreats and the executive gatherings, like the vision of what we want it to become, but that doesn't happen overnight, especially when minutes matter. Yeah. And you're like, wait a minute, what... Where is what's the culture that already exists, and what are some bright spots? So, what do the people really want? Because if they want it, and there's already some bright spots, I can see that being a quicker acceleration to a great place where you can sort of build on what's working.
0: It was, and and our team picked a brilliant set of of um, priorities that or not priorities, values that characterize where we were in our journey. So the first one they picked, overwhelming number one vote they had. And by the way, we gave them 47 different values that we had pulled from different places for them to pick from. So it was, 47? A, oh, it was a giant, <laughs> it was, it was, what do you guys want to do? Who do you want to be? Whatever. And And so huh, the overwhelming answer, first one was client excellence in all we do. And so, and so they recognized that we were not producing the right value and output, for our clients, which by the way, I mentioned to you that fix that quality was what we already decided to do. Our people knew that they wanted to be proud of what they brought to their clients. They wanted to serve them really well. So that was the first one. It wasn't one.
1: casual Fridays.
0: No, no. It was
1: excellence, which ties in so well. Yeah. With, your, with, with, with what we with needed to do. They, they, our
0: people knew, our team knew.
1: And people want to have, I think it's because people want to have pride in their work. They want to feel like, Hey, I worked hard today. My mm-hmm. clients are happy. I mean, it, it makes a big difference. Mm-hmm.
0: When you go. Mm-hmm. And the second and third one books they picked were interesting. They picked accountability in all that we do and results matter. Mm-hmm. And so they, it, and and then the prior, prior to me joining there, there wasn't accountability and there wasn't the focus on the right outcomes and things like that. So they were, they they knew what they wanted to stand for, which was awesome. And, and the fourth one they picked is one of my favorite values in the world, which is collaboration. They knew they couldn't do it individually. They wanted to do it as a unified group, which was, which was amazing.
1: So many good ones there. And it's mm-hmm. interesting. I think a lot of people say, well, people don't want to be accountable, but maybe even the people who aren't being accountable really do want to be accountable. They just want everybody else to be accountable too.
0: Yeah. A shared principle. A shared, a shared principle. Yeah. Agreed.
1: Yeah, so interesting. Agreed. So that. I really, really think that's cool. And so you did the, so you got the four. Yeah. And then you shared it with everyone. Well, we and, did
0: one other thing. We looked down the list and we're like, well, what didn't they pick? And the 17th most popular vote for them was one about innovation. And it really made me sad that I was leading in an organization that innovation, which should be at the forefront of what people, why do you come to work to do things better to create, Right. It was 17. It was so far from our reality mm-hmm. that it wasn't there. So what we actually launched the company is we said, hey, we're going to have five values. The first four are the four that you chose, da, 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 da. But we're going to add number 17. We're going to add innovation. And we not, might not have time and, and ability and the minutes in the day to focus on on innovation today. But values also are aspirational. It's about where we want to go, what we want to do, and who we want to be. And mm-hmm. so we're going to be celebrating down the world down the road, Um, down the road when we can bring innovation and transformation and, and, and all of these um, next generation solutions to our clients. But, um, you know, this this balance of aspiration versus recognition of today. What
1: a cool idea for leaders to think about today, really capitalizing on what the, the ones that people want to become, They, they want their culture to reflect, but also bringing in the ones that are, that aren't there yet or that aren't a priority, maybe picking one or two. And you say like they're aspirational mm-hmm. in nature, but it mm-hmm. also is, it, it's probably like, that's the one of all those that I can see could inspire people. Mm-hmm. The other four feel good, maybe keep us here, but the ones that make us think about the future and get us excited.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, innovation. It, and it was, it was a couple years down the road before we were ready to have, um, to to target and think about innovation um, as far as transformative solutions to the the industry. Mm. But it wasn't very far down the road, maybe six months before we started talking about how somebody in their role, in in what they're trying to accomplish today, could be innovative and transformative within what they were trying to do. So let's, Mm. instead of doing it according to the way we have for 20 years, Let's think about it, flipping it upside down and doing it in this transformative way. So we started layering in the ability to innovate in what you do much sooner than when we were ready to be, you know, creating next generation solutions for our clients. Oh,
1: so cool. yeah, it does you don't have to invent the iPhone for innovation. It yeah. can start really encouraging you know small innovation steps. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com/slash insight. Now, when did you get the company from Minutes Matter? Did you stay Minutes Matter for a very long time? Like that was your guiding principle, or were you able to sort of graduate them to sort of a different Good mindset?
0: So so we kept the mindset throughout my tenure that our time is the most precious resource of the company. We spend more money on human capital and labor than we do on anything else. And we should always be thinking about the minute how do I use my time wisely every day. so so while the urgency of if you didn't do the right thing in the next couple minutes, the company could could, you know, could have a massive failure that certainly went away um, but we we kept on to this element of of think wisely about how you use this precious resource of time um, but but more broadly answering your question within probably six weeks or so at the company, we introduced a visual for them. And, and if you think about um in the olden times, an old-fashioned scale that has, you know, like the bar and and, and the metal hanging and you, you got the tray and you're you're figuring out how much something you know weighs. We introduced a picture like that. And one side of it we said was called focus on the fundamentals. Hmm. And the other side was called innovate with impact. Hmm. And and what we introduced to the organization is that we were in phase one of our journey, which it was very heavily focused on focus on the fundamentals. And so we showed the scale in meeting after meeting all of our all of our town halls and things like that, where at the beginning, it was completely weighted to focus on the fundamentals ne- being what we needed to do. And we rolled out different ways that we could make just the core basics of how we operate in the company smarter, et cetera. And over the four year journey, I was at the company, we used this illustration and we showed the balance of the scale moving over time and talked about yeah. how we were taking more innovation. And so it really aligned to to what um to how we operated the company really from phase one to the last phase of the company about um what we were doing and, and where we could go and and how to prioritize the time that we had in the day and the resources we had to spend.
1: And what's the response that you got when you started when the when the when the scale started tipping?
0: Um, well, so so when I joined the company, we lost a lot, right? And so pretty soon we started winning, right? And so it was 17 months after I got to the company. Um, so we put a we put a lofty bar out there for us ourselves. We said we wanted to move from 71% client retention to 90% client retention, and focus on the fundamentals had to be our priority until we got to 90% client retention. So it took us just under a year and a half wow. to get to changing fundamentally what we did so that our clients really, really um, loved us. And so that was, and and that was a, a bar and a number the company knew and we thought mm-hmm. about it and we aspired to get to that level. Um so people were celebrating and winning all along that first year and a half as we were moving towards there, and it was. Amazing when we hit that. By the way, when we sold the company, we were at ninety six point four percent client retention. Um, a couple of years after that, so so that journey continued. Even though we started the balance, the, the scale was switching to work on innovation and transformation. Some fun other things. Um, it it um, that foundation we put in place that that framework and that ability to to just be based on the right principles to begin with and the right operating mechanisms served us really well through the full journey.
1: Yeah, you know, like you said you earlier that you're really good at helping figure out what matters most and helping people build and focus on that and focus. So once you clarify that, it did become about time and helping them allocate their own personal time in ways that really contributes to that versus all the all the distractions out there.
0: Absolutely.
1: So so you as a CEO, what is your approach? To focusing on what's what matters, knowing that you can get distracted by all kinds of peripheral things yeah. that are coming into the business.
0: So I think a very key part of it is is being incredibly deliberate on what you're not going to do and being bold in that. So, so as an example of that, um, you know, when when we got when I got to that company, we knew that focus on quality was key and that. That resetting of the culture where our people owned it and knew who they wanted to be was key. But we also had to figure out what we weren't going to do. And when I joined the company, there was a very clear number one corporate priority that every employee in the company knew. We were going to build a new data warehouse and move our underlying structure of the company to a new data warehouse. Number one principle. Probably a weekend of being at the company, I went to my first meeting on that, um, like a briefing on that project. And it was apparent in that meeting that this project was on a path to fail. And so outside of the meeting, I asked a little bit about, it's the number one objective in a company that's struggling and and we're clearly not on a path to win. And so outside the meeting, I, I brought some folks together and tried to understand the context. And this was actually the third attempt to build a great data warehouse. And the first and second one we had failed with. And so I said, okay, this is third try. It's not going well. Like, do we think it's going to like what? And and they're like, yeah. And so we didn't have the core right talent in DNA and things. We, we, we just, we weren't going to win at this. Okay. So then I said, well, why, why are we, why is this the number one priority? Why is the data warehouse matter? And the thought was our underlying architecture of our product was, um, wasn't that great. And it made it where our employees had to do a lot of workarounds in order to, to mm-hmm. do jobs. So our number one priority for the company was building a data warehouse that would make it easier for our people to do our work. And I said, well, what's the value prop for a client? And they're like, there's none. There's no difference to the client, it, but it just makes it easier for us. And by the way, there's a great value in doing things that make something easier for your employees to be successful. But, but think of this world we're living in. Our clients not in are minutes, firing not us right and left. Yeah. And our number one corporate priority is to make something easier for us not to service the client better. And so it was just, it was so apparent that, that this was not right. So within three weeks of me being at the company, we had a um, town hall and I shared that we were completely sunsetting and killing this project. It was not our priority. It wasn't even a back burner priority. We weren't going to do it for X and Y reasons. And we were going to take the three million dollars a year we were spending, run rate right against that, and redeploy that in ways that created client excellence and outcomes for our clients and things like that. And so, a lot of shock in that meeting. People were like, "What in the world?" This, da, da, da. but people started to get it right, and they could yeah. see this this element of you know your question about how do you how do you figure out what to do? So much of it's what are you not going to do? Right? We made some bold decisions to put our time. And our financial resources where it mattered most, as opposed to what um what was the wrong priority to begin with.
1: Yeah, you're you're making having a cash strap company sound better in terms <laughs> of because when you have no, it's almost like like what's coming to mind listening is it's like you've been given a set of parameters or a framework to work within. We don't, you're not This company was not the company that had just $3 million to just spend on any project. It had to be used in a very specific way to help grow those numbers with your clients. And if you're in a cash-rich company, you can get distracted all kinds of It should
0: be the same principle every day. But in (laughs) this this world of minutes matter, it made it really clear for us what we should do and what we shouldn't do.
1: So now you're in a company that's in, in a different position. And there may be more, uh, you don't have to, I mean, are you thinking minutes matter now? Or is, or okay. does it depend on the company?
0: Uh, so I, So I, my personal lesson from the prior company is that minutes always matter. Now they're less urgent of what you do with them, but it is a great principle. Like the biggest expense, almost every company is human capital. And how do you make sure that every person is thinking about creating the great greatest value? So, so um, yeah. that is that is something that's important and ingrained into me. I don't. I'm not going to lead a town hall talking about minutes matter and things like that. Now, I might um, be in a meeting and, and we're talking about X and Y, and 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 if we're working on something less important. You know, I might say, hey, you know, think about how many minutes we have in the day, and, and in the week, in the year is this the right place to spend it, right? So I, I can use that as a framing to, to ask a question about people thinking about what matters most. Um, but but it, it, it's um, it's a luxury to be able to think about that as a, opposed to um, a requirement of survival. And I like it. Great place, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: so, so much wisdom in that. And a couple things that, so one is just why that worked. And I think it's so cool that really one slogan, one motto, one principle saved a company. Yeah, I think that's this—the the, the simplicity of it. Um Also, I think from a leadership standpoint, leaders need to think about how you can make your messaging so simple and so actionable, because there's so it can be so much strategy talk, mm-hmm. so talking above an employee's sort of actionable mm-hmm. in the weeds kind of day. Yeah, that it gets lost and it's almost like it it gets diluted and the people in the front lines are like, I don't even know what my CEO is talking about. Um, How do you approach that within organizations, all the ones that you work for, how how are you thinking about your own communication to make sure it's.
0: Yeah. Uh, So I, I love the use of imagery. Like we talked about that scale picture and and I Mm -hmm. love that you use to use imagery and messaging consistently for years, pick ones that stick with the company. So, so for example, and, and by the way, I'd love to come back to your podcast and talk about, you know, what we end up putting in place at a spear on, but, but, but uh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta get that in. I gotta get that, that, I gotta work with the team and, and call that play first. But at, at my prior company, you know um, you talked about how do you distill it and make things clear for people, well, I believe in being really open and transparent on the financial health and the numbers. But if you go up in, in front of a team of a thousand people with people at all different places in their career and sophistication, and you throw up a PL, like l like it's like, how does this relate to me? What does that even mean? It's hard. And so we created a image that we used, um, I think in our first town hall, and we used it in every town hall. It was four boxes, the top row, two boxes on the top, and they were about growth. Okay, which equals revenue, right? Like we needed, you know, financial investors needed us to be bigger, right? Um, But growth is growth is a word more relatable. Um, We also needed to expand our EBITDA and become more profitable. But EBITDA and profits kind of um, can be overwhelming to to everybody. Mm -hmm. Company Mm -hmm. understanding. So we put the second boxes on the on the next row of of this chart, and they were about um, um, they were about um, our expenses. And so in the four quadrant under growth, we said there are two things that contribute to growth, retaining our clients, right? It's a lot harder to grow if you're losing them, right? And two, adding new clients, simple principles, retain your client, add clients. And we started talking again and again over years. What could you do? Oh, we won these three clients. Oh, we did these three things to retain these three clients. So you, like, people could start seeing. Oh, I'm developing this piece of software, but it's making the solution better. So you could, you could see mm-hmm. how everybody could start th- seeing. We would talk month after month. Always, we would talk about what we're doing to and and how people could relate to how they contributed growth. Yep. And mm-hmm. then on the bottom part of it, that this, this trying to talk about expenses, we talked about two things. We talked about um, use your time wisely, right? Gets in a minutes matter and Um, take care in every dollar we spend. And so we started getting people to think about, wait a second, we're paying for this piece of software to do X, but it's not that important. Should we not do that? Or how do I spend my time to do it? And really distilled where no matter what role you were in and whether you were more senior or junior in the org, you could start figuring out how what you did fit into some combination of four boxes. And we would celebrate and highlight and talk about different things. And, And over time, people... Got to talk about th- th- they thought in a way of these four boxes and how they contributed to them. So it really simplified the big picture of what we were trying to do in a way that you could relate to and see how what you did fit into.
1: I mean, that that's it for CEOs and, and for leaders on their teams to go the extra step and think about put yourself in the shoes of the frontline people, people doing, you know, work every day. How does it tra- how does their work translate? So a lot of times you're like, we're gonna explain EBITDA and they're gonna understand it. Okay, <laughs> yes, hopefully, but you but you don't have time, especially in minutes matter culture, yeah. you don't have time to do you know child training on everybody on EBITDA. So, you're boiling it down to how they invest their dollars, how they spend their time, how it contributes to the bottom line. I mean, that's that's relatable. Like the way
0: mm-hmm. What's up? It's relatable, right? That, we'll every, it. that, that that it makes sense. And I can directly think about what I did today and what I'm going to do tomorrow and how it contributes to that.
1: Wow. So, thinking about back in your career, I mean, th- this piece, where did this come from? Did you work at a company and people couldn't? I mean, you've worked with some pretty big brands <laughs> out there. Were there a few of these companies? You don't have to be specific, but they yeah. were like <laughs> communicating initiatives. And you're like, this is not relatable to the people there was a organization
0: and you I, you know I I have did it well? worked in some great organizations and for some great people so I I don't think I ever saw myself as um the victim of or or I, I never looked at where I was I never looked at where I was saying oh they could do this better but when I got the mic and got to think about it I I just think I try to think in what how do I distill it down to the basics how do I put it in a story that's relatable how do I create a context that's reusable that that is meaningful right mm-hmm. and because alignment is such a key part to success in leadership yes. and and you know if if every time you talk to your organization or your team you bounce from this to that to that even if they're connected they might not make that connection and so I just I just mm-hmm. I communicated in my head in a way that's this story based and and image based and and it's become how I speak outwardly um oh. Yes.
1: So many great lessons for leaders there. Um, man, I'm, I'm, I'm writing down and thinking about distilling the message, making it relatable, creating alignment, using stories, using imagery, all great leadership skills that I think often get missed, often get missed. So starting to sort to wind this up, Amy, what's your parting thought for our listeners today?
0: Gosh, gosh. Well, you know, I- it, you would not be tuning in to the show if you were not um, somebody who took the principles of leadership and your commitment and of leadership seriously and and you didn't believe in trying to think about how you could be better. So so that's half the half the battle is being, you know legitimately invested in figuring out how to, you can lead better. Um, I I lead using my my spirit, my voice, how I think. And it happens to be highly relatable. So I guess a a coaching point I would, I would have for folks is I've honed how I lead in a way that's natural and authentic for me, that Mm -hmm. is relatable and adoptable to others. And maybe the way I do, it's good for somebody else to borrow, but really think about what, what's your way of being authentic and relatable Mm -hmm. as a leader in a way that people understand, connect, and want to follow. And that, that following that, that, um, authenticity and natural element versus trying to borrow someone else's structure is probably the best way to maximize your effectiveness as a leader oof
1: so good I didn't expect that term but that makes a lot of sense because otherwise you just exhaust yourself and burn out because like I'm trying to be I'm trying to lead it lead and it's somebody else's way of doing things mm-hmm. Wendy do, was there a moment where you discovered this superpower or how you were going to bring your authenticity to the I, uh, to your leadership
0: you know i i i'm thinking of that question on the fly and actually there probably was um i worked for a company called med assets i was one of the two presidents in the company it's publicly traded we had a um analyst report so um so it was publicly traded so you know once a year you go and you sit in front of the analyst you tell them what they're going to do and and they decide your stock's worth more or less right and um I had somebody write my script and write my slides for me. And the day before the presentation, the night before the presentation, we all had to do this practice run through. And this is the first time in my career, I'd had somebody write my content for me. And so when I did my run through, I was stumbling over my words and and tripping over them. And it was not a natural flow. Hmm. And the CEO walked over he took the paper in front of me. He took it away and he said, speak from your heart, Amy, speak from your heart. Like somebody else did go speak from your heart. And so I, I, uh, went home to my hotel room. It was late at night that night. I was like, okay, what's the right thing to say? What's the right the way to connect with this community? Um, took a breath, you know, throughout the script walked in the next morning and actually during, you know, I'm sitting in a room with a hundred folks in the room and, And um, the CEO is sitting in the back. I'm at the front doing my presentation and probably a minute or two in the CEO stands up in the back and he's like, like, like quietly, you know, saying, yay. And he, he was giving me affirmation that, that my message mattered and connected because I was speaking from my heart and my style and my way of communicating. And I think that's really important. Figure out your voice and how, and how you best lead and how you best project your voice. And so with John Barton, CEO of MedAssets, wonderful, wonderful man. And um, he, I, I guess he gets full credit for uh, for teaching me that.
1: That's probably the only time a story about a stock analyst report actually <laughs> made me cry a little bit. <laughs> well, I don't think there's much else to say. Uh, that was a beautiful story and a great example. for having the courage to do it. And And as a leader, you can experience that story as the person who has the mentor talking to you and you digging deep to do it. Um, You know, you can be the mentor or the person being mentored. You can probably experience those from both sides. But uh, take it and see what you can do with it. Thanks for coming on today, Amy.
0: I love it. I love it. And hey, it it would be unfair to say um, that that SPH journey, the team did a phenomenal job and we just had a wonderful into that. So, so they step up. journey. And, and congrats to, to It was a big win. It was a big <laughs> win. So, um, it, you do that fundamental work and it, it produces. All right. So awesome. Thanks for your time today.
1: Yep. Go get them y'all. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free Signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping.